Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everybody. Jeff Speakman here, visiting with uh, Zach and Dustin. And I want to invite you to tune in. Uh, good guys. I haven't met them before, but I really like them now, and I, I hope you enjoy the show. Before there was IMDb.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? Well, that's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Well, my God, this, you know, we've had some martial artists on the show. Um, this is Martial Arts Madness, which is, you know, we've only done it one other year, but this is, this is kind of becoming my, my favorite time of year. Uh, Me too. A little bit because it's a lot of fun. Uh, March Madness is my favorite sporting event of the year so it's only it only you know fits with with me personally that uh i also like like martial arts madness but it's um i feel like i didn't say that word right martial arts madness but i think that um you know we've talked a lot you and i right like we 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 grow we grew up loving martial arts we we both have studied it to, to varying degrees um we said let's get the perfect weapon on the show this interview goes so much deeper than I, we could have imagined. I, I mean, holy tacos. I, it was crazy. It was crazy. And when this ended, my mouth was like agape and I felt, you know, positive. And I, I know I'm just rambling here. I, I want to I I hear your thoughts. No, no, you're uh, you're saying everything I'm thinking. Uh, this is this is the interview you want to listen to to brighten your day. Uh, most of our interviews were like that anyways, but this specifically uh, is valuable because Jeff Speakman, our guest today, is a phenomenal human person. He's, he's just a, a good guy trying to make, leave a, leave a, he's trying to leave a mark on this life that he, we're currently living in that means something at the end of the day. And to have that echoed and reminded that we are on this planet for a reason, we had every intention to talk about the perfect weapon, and we did. And we had every intention to go over aspects of his career, which we do. But did we know that it was going to go in the direction it was? It ultimately went into? No. And are we a better person because of it? Yes. If you want to say that where we are right now in the world could be considered a form of the dark ages in the sense that humans have kind of lost sight of certain values and integrity, and, you know, things have become more about selfishness and, you know, social media has become, you know, look at me and how can I better myself and how can I sell out and how can I, and to be, to reconnect with these ideals of gratitude and what really matters and love, right? And at the end of the day, what do we all really have? And what is it that we're, we're really looking to do and why are we here? I mean, these are big, these are big picture questions that, Jeff Speakman has whittled down to these core ideals. Boy, oh boy. It's yeah. a myriad of emotions in this interview yeah. and all ultimately all positive ones. So um, without further ado, enjoy Jeff Speakman. Mr. Jeff Speakman, thank you so much for being on $2 Late Fee. It is a pleasure and I just want to officially thank you guys for the invitation it is wonderful to be here well we are 
very big fans of obviously your, your screen work. And I share with you offline that one of the inspirations for me wanting to get into martial arts when I was, uh, I want to say 15 or 16, I guess, was uh, Kempo Karate, getting into Kempo specifically because I saw you in The Perfect Weapon. And I said, that's the style I- of Kempo? I want to try that style. That's the style I want to try. And I did it for three years and I earned my green belt and then things happened. And I got and- scared and I ran away and I stopped and I picked up piano. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I think I see how this interview is going to go. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> No, it, 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 it sincerely, you, uh, you were uh, an in- inspiration to myself, Dustin and I, and to have you on the show all these years later and be able to talk to you is a really big deal. Um, but obviously, you know, the perfect weapon is, is kind of our, our, our penultimate favorite of yours. Uh, however, just you as a person and, and following your, your path to movies uh, has also been inspiring. But I don't know. Do you want to just talk about how did you get, how did you get from A to B? How did you get from, from where you were before Perfect Weapon to Perfect Weapon? Wait, but what's our ultimate favorite? If it's if Perfect Weapon is our penultimate. Um. Yeah, that's a good point. Just right. penultimate. Right. True. <laughs> it's the ultimate, man. It is the that's ultimate. Right. <laughs> sorry, Jeff. Sorry well, to interrupt. You. Uh, you're not sorry, so don't play like you are. I'm right. sorry. You can get over it. He's going to kick your ass. You need to know it was the ultimate. I, I just want to be clear. The ultimate. See, see, they only talk like this because we're not in the same room for all your listeners. <laughs> oh, you know? But um, great question and big answer because that's obviously an enormous uh, journey yeah. that I went on. But I'll encapsulate it for you if you wish. Please. Uh, it just quickly started from uh, my graduation from college in Joplin, Missouri. Missouri Southern State University. Wow. Took me six years to get a four-year degree, so that'll tell you a little bit about me. <laughs> um, then uh, that's where I was studying Japanese Goju from Lou Angel. Uh, was a full need on when I left, and he said, "If you want to make martial arts your life, you should study Kempo from Ed Parker because he's the best in the world." And so he wrote a letter of introduction for me. I sold my car to pay for the U-Haul, and I drove to California stayed with some friends and um, walked up to Ed Parker in the summer of 83 at his tournament in Long Beach, California, bowed to him, handed him this letter and he opened it and read it and said, oh my God, my old friend, Lou Angel, uh, how wonderful. He said, give me a couple of weeks, call me at my home, gave me his number and he said, I'll get you started. So that was how I got there. Wow. And then after a couple of years of doing that in 85, Someone who was bringing their child to our dojo who worked in the movie business kept telling me, she said, you know, you ought to take what you do and study acting and go out and do some stuff. And I said, I don't want to, you know, that just isn't my scene. But she set me up with an acting school and said, you really, really need to do this. You got to trust me. So I, I went and watched. I was invited to go just observe. And then one afternoon, I looked at that and I just said, okay, I think I can do this. So I studied acting five years before I did Perfect Weapon. I went on many auditions. I actually got work and got paid and the check cleared the bank, you know, all those, <laughs> all those things you need uh, to be considered a real actor. So I did that, but no one ever knew I knew martial arts. I just wanted to come out and prove I could get work as an actor. And then I would let him know. And the irony here long story tried to make shorter, is one of the coaches at the acting workshop is the guy that wrote Van Damme's second movie called Kickboxer. Really? And his name is Glenn Bruce. So he was coaching me for a long time. And remember, I never told anybody any martial arts. And then somehow, you know, you learn who this guy is. I found out who he was. I told him about my history and he came down to the school to watch. And then he went and called at the producer director of uh, John Claude's first three movies because he had just finished filming the third one called Death Warrant. Yeah. And uh, so he, after several attempts, he talked him into meeting me, which he did at the dojo in West LA, where I did a demo for him. And then that started our relationship, signed a four picture deal with him. And then, of course, he had the legal right to, and he went to Paramount. 
uh, through a connection he had and Paramount picked up all four of the movies with this guy. And uh, so Perfect Weapon was obviously the first one. It was written for me. I collaborated a lot with the uh, writers, uh, all the scenes in the dojo, all that stuff for the authenticity. I choreographed all the fight scenes with Mr. Parker. Wow. I even had a final edit and final sound check from the biggest, wealthiest production company in the world at that time, Paramount. They still may be, I don't know. Um, but uh, they actually took a, a first-time guy and gave him the authority to have a final let it, final sound check. So that was unprecedented because you would never let any actor into the editing bay in Paramount unless you're Tom Cruise. You know, it's right. one of those kind of things. Right. So uh, I went in there, and because I knew I what it should look like, I was able to extend the fight scenes significantly. And which, of course, they love that because that's where all the money goes, because you'll shoot 12 hours a day for two or plus days to get 30 seconds of a fight scene on film. I mean, it's very, very costly to shoot fight scenes. So uh, that was how it began. And um, then, of course, I went on after that. I've started in a total of 10 movies yeah. uh, and produced three of those 10. So I learned a lot about the movie business and raising money, which I didn't want to learn about, but I decided if I was going to do this as a career, the more I learned about just the business, the more of an asset I would be, and the more likely it would be that I would get hired. And that wound up uh, being the case. But to finish the perfect weapon side of the discussion, Paramount's experience with that producer and director was so terrible mm. that they just didn't want to exercise the other three remaining Speakman options mm. because he was attached to all of them. And it was just a nightmare mm. and a terrible experience. So, oh. so, so now I'm the product of the preceding group. They paid me my holding fee and just didn't do a movie, but the yeah. things they wouldn't release me because ah. if I left and went to wherever Universal Warner Brothers and did another movie and it was a success, then they would be in trouble. Wow. So what they do is they take you and just put you on a shelf, so pay shitty. you your holding fee, and your career suffers terribly. But if I were to go on and be a success somewhere else, their career would have suffered terribly. And they didn't want to have to work with this guy and pay him a lot of money. He, wow. he had negotiated himself a, a contract that you just wouldn't believe. Man. So I'm stuck. So that's why the succeeding movies after Perfect Weapon were one third the budget. Yeah. And with uh, smaller companies, with the exception of the uh, Warner Brothers and Universal movies I did. But that's what happened. So I just rode the donkey as far as I could. It turned out to be 10 movies. And that was the end of it. What was your How's experience that? like with with that producer? Was it was it bad for you personally? Um, the 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 relationship I had with him leading up to the filming, as you know very well, there's a lot of work to do in pre production. So so you spend a lot of time doing all of that. That was great when we got to production. And this was all about how he ran the business of production. And he was very, very adversarial with Paramount and the president of Paramount and all the people that hired you and they're paying you and you're being a dick. So that in turn, all of a sudden, every day on the perfect weapon, the, the you know, as they call them, the suits start yeah. showing up, you know, the executives sure. and they're poking their head around and making him nervous. And, and everybody saw that the perfect weapon was going to be a success. So when that happens, everybody wants to kind of, you know, get their fingerprints on the page of the script so they, they get to take credit for it. So these guys coming out made it even worse for him because he felt very insecure about that. And, and then that just, that just rolled into an unpleasant experience yeah. for me. Yeah. But who gives a shit you know you're starring in a movie for for paramount it's the first tempo movie that was ever done i had full control of the fight scenes and the editing i mean completely unheard of right yeah, so for sure i said all right whatever's going to happen is going to happen because here's here's a great beginning and um and so there would at least be you know there was a 10-year ride 
off of that. And it was great. And it provided me with the amazing life that I'm living right now. You know, I, I think about, uh, you, you said it was the first film to really focus on Kempo and, and you have your dedication to Ed Parker at the end of the movie as well. Um, it was the first movie that I remember ever seeing that, that focused on a specific martial arts and, and, and talked about the martial art like kind of in detail for me personally. Um, but your relationship right. with Ed, your relationship with Ed was, you know, you, you had known him first. You continued to stay uh, friends with him, right? After training with him. And can you talk a little bit about yes. Ed Parker, for those that don't know, uh, as being like, he's the father of Kempo Karate, right? Right. Not only that, but he was considered the father of American karate. Because remember, he opened the first commercial karate school in the United States in 1954. Yeah. So this guy had the credentials that no one else had. Then, of course, he was, you know, Bruce Lee's American teacher. He was Elvis Presley's teacher, taught many, many celebrities. So he was way up the food chain. Uh, and most importantly, yes, I, I actually, before Perfect Weapon, even just one year after I started Kempo, he invited me to, to not go to that school in West Los Angeles and come to his house every week with three other people mm -hmm. and wow. become a personal student of his, which I did every week for three and a half years. And so I learned the entire Kempo system directly from Ed Parker in his living room, as uh, phenomenal as that is. And it was. And then because of that, we became very close. And then you can imagine all of a sudden one of his guys gets bang, you know, the perfect weapon, this movie with Paramount. I mean, here we go, right? Yeah. The, the only thing he hadn't done in his life that he wanted to was to make a Kempo movie. You know, he had already become the best in the world what he did and on and on. So uh, that was a tremendous uh, thing that brought us very close together. He was on the set with me every day. There was a fight scene all night. If it was a night shoot, it wouldn't matter. They would call cut. I would go back to my chair. He'd put my jacket over my shoulders, hand me my water bottle, rub my shoulders until they called or he would coach me. You know, he would say, you know, your hand was too low. You got to put your hand back, you know, little, little things. So everything was just exactly the way he wanted it. So I would choreograph the fights and bring it to his house. And I've wow. still got the legal yeah. pads here with all my notes, oh, really? sketches cool. of the fight scenes. And I still got all that stuff sitting right here in my office. Amazing. Oh, that's so cool. So, um, so obviously we got very, very, very close. And through that experience, I got to see how he thought because this guy created something that had never been done before and hasn't been done since, which is to bring the science and physics of the American life into ancient Chinese fighting techniques. And so it's about the engagement of your mass through time and space, impact value, mathematics, geometry, brilliant, right? Brilliant. Yeah. And so then the art evolved and changed over time because of that application, the scientific, the quote, American application of it. And so I saw him do that. So when it came time for Tempo to adapt and adjust to fighting on the ground because of MMA and what the UFC and what the Gracie family did and the Machado family, um, we had no ground fighting. So we were just a fish out of water. So in my world of Tempo, it's the fifth evolution because this is what Ed Parker asked all of his black belts to do, to continue to evolve, to keep the art relevant. Okay, so I did that. So we brought that world together. It took years to do it. So now we have the fifth evolution of Kempo, which I call Kempo 5.0. You've carried on the tradition, right? It, exactly. Not only have I carried on the tradition, but this is a really, really important point that no one seems to get, which is... <laughs> It was Ed Parker's mandate to all of us to continue to evolve and change the art over time. So awesome. you put 100 Ed Parker black belts in a room, <laughs> even right now, and say, okay, everybody raise their hand who evolved the art and did what I asked. Four hands would go up. Hmm. And of those, I would be one of the four. And of those four, which of you guys have evolved the art to include ground fighting? Mine would be the only one up. Hmm. So wow. the 800-pound gorilla in the room is obviously how to fight on the ground because in the 70s 
And into the 80s, you know, and, and of course, before that, Kempo was seen as the street fighting martial arts until the Gracie family landed in 1991. And then it was, you know, after their popularity and their, their trashing of everybody who got in their way uh, because of their talent and their skill and their everything they offered, <clears throat> you had two choices. One was, you know, do the ostrich thing, bury your head in the sand and say, oh, we don't do that. And the other is to adapt to it in some way. Well, the, the great quote from Ed Parker is, when I'm gone, I hope no one traditionalizes my art. Mm. So, and now, except everyone has, yeah. you know, and we're the ones who haven't. And because we haven't, and because we're successful, I have franchise schools in 20 countries, we've become the heretic, you know? Yep. I hear stuff all the time. Most speakman isn't even doing tempo anymore. He's doing some hybrid. That's that's just nonsense. So okay. we evolved the art and we're still doing the tempo <clears throat> that Parker asked us to do. Yep. In fact, the tempo I'm doing is more tempo than the tempo you're doing. <laughs> right. I'm living in the rear view mirror and I'm living in the windshield showing us where we're going forward. So uh, my whole thing, how I built this world is we co-create it. You know, I don't want to do it alone. I don't have a God complex. <clears throat> big G or little G. I just don't. Um, and my, <clears throat> excuse me, it's the throat cancer thing I went through, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but um, um, I always included everybody in discussions of how we're going to evolve and how we're going to change. So everybody literally around the world was a part of it and they co-contributed so that they own it. Awesome. And so they take pride in it and they'll sacrifice and, and discipline themselves because they now believe not only, and this is important, not only in something that they believe in, that they, but they helped build it. They contributed. So they get to put their mark on it, you know? So this takes us into the cancer thing, but <clears throat> the, the point is before you die, which we all are going to do, can you look back at your life and really honestly, with all defenses down, say, you know what, I, I did good. I helped a lot of people. <clears throat> I did something wonderful with my life and uh, in a very positive and dynamic way, as big as I could, as good as I could. And okay, since this is time for me to transition to the other side, I can let go and know with, I have no anxiety about that. I'm not afraid to die. Um, I'm ready to move on when that time comes. Because every day I live knowing that I'm going to die. So, yeah. you know, let's get busy. Let's get to work. Let's work together. Let's make something amazing. And that's what we've done. Love that. That's inspirational. Love that. And Love the, that. the important distinct, distinction here is also that you acting was almost like a tool to then extend the education <laughs> of the art form. It wasn't like that was never the thing. You were never... I mean, I, I actually love that. I love that you're like, ah, I don't want to study acting. I don't, you know, and, and also it's such an interesting <clears throat> choice to say, I'm not going to bring my Kenpo to the forefront while I'm studying acting. And I was interested more in, in, in sort of what was the motivation behind that specific choice? First, let me first thank you for recognizing that. Because to me, for my personal life, what you just said, in fact, even how you said it is really the the crux of who I am that's the center of my being uh, exactly the way you phrased it so thank you for that um, and now to answer your question here's what really happened so this woman comes and tries to talk me into study acting right so I go okay I'm really going to do this I'm going to go look at this acting school I'm really going to look at I've never been an actor before I never thought I would be I never said nothing zero so I went, okay, I'm going to do two things. One is I'm going to go see this acting school and see what it's like and watch it and see if I like it, which I loved it. And then ironically, that same movie I told you about with uh, Van Damme, you know, his last movie, uh, Death Warrant, Death Warrant was yeah. just released that weekend. So I went, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing. All right, so I'll tell you what, I, it's Westwood, California. I'm going to go on a Saturday afternoon all by myself and sit there and watch because I hadn't seen his other movies. And I said, okay, now I'm thinking of doing this. Let me go see what this thing is all about. So I did the acting class and I went and saw uh, Van Damme's movie. And when I looked at him up there doing what he does, all I thought was, if that 
gets him on the screen and gets him that recognition wait till they see him. <laughs> hell yeah, yeah really. <laughs> so i didn't want to blow it you know i didn't want to lead with tempo i didn't want to come out and say i'm another martial artist trying to do a martial art right. movie i had studied acting five years i could give you a tape of you know i got a job on the hunter remember that tv series oh, love hunter. right from forever yeah. ago oh yeah um and a few other things so i could show you a tape they hired me. I just did an acting thing and I went home. I didn't do one bit of action, nothing. And so um, when it came time for me to interview with the president of Paramount, Gary Lucchese, he could, you know, take my picture, flip it around and go, okay, he's been doing this. He studied there. Let's see his tape from Hunter and right. this and that. Yeah. And then that's the reason why he gave me a chance hmm. because I had already proven to him that I wanted to be serious about this by dedicating myself to studying acting and getting work as an actor. So that's what brought him around to go, okay, let me take one evening. And he and three other guys from Paramount came to the dojo one night. And um, I had a couple of black belt contemporaries with me. And we did a bunch of techniques and a bunch of Kempo. And I smacked the shit out of a few of them. And, <laughs> and they loved it. And I loved it too, since I wasn't the one getting hit for a change. You know? <laughs> That's, that's fantastic great. that's great and then you make you you go on and make the perfect weapon and I, I mean we we love that movie like we said we love that movie um i'm just curious were you a track student when you were younger like the character in the movie <laughs> the polvo man <laughs> the polvo I, I was yeah i was actually a, a, a gymnast and a springboard diver in high school wow and uh, so I would be springboard diver in the summer and a gymnast in the winter. So I always moved like that. So when I left to go to college, the thing that got me interested in martial arts was all of that history. So I was either going to try professional dance hmm. or martial arts because they really are very, very similar in many ways. Yeah. One is a passive application. One is an aggressive application. But movement is the same. And that's what I loved. And that's what I was good at. So it just so happened that ironically, I was a roommate with a guy and I lived with him for like a year. And after a year of living with him, I realized and found out he was a black belt in, in Gojuru karate from Blue Angel. Oh, oh, wow. And I thought that was just so amazing. Cool. I lived with the guy for a year and I had no idea. And yeah. I thought wow. that was really cool. Wow. So I said, would you introduce me first? Would you? teach me which he started to and then would you introduce me to lou angel which i became a private student in his okay. that's amazing i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad it didn't turn out that you know he kept yep. from you that he was a serial killer or something right like that. <laughs> no. he kept leaving i didn't know where that he was going he kept coming home bloody i didn't yeah. ask questions <laughs> and he had this bag and uh, a knife <laughs> hanging out but i <laughs> none of my it, business so what am i doing? yeah right <laughs> i think for me uh, the perfect weapon first of all <clears throat> dustin and i often talk about how so many movies uh, um go too long you know like an hour 45 two hours two and a half hours it's too long of a movie perfect weapon is a nice 84 minute package uh it's it, in many ways it, it gets right. you know you start out very specific uh, I, I mean, I'm curious from like the backstory of the character, a lot of questions of like, wait, was he, was he in like a workers program for jail or something? What was going on there? And then you segue into being in your house, and, you know, <laughs> sincerely, I'm like, what is the backstory of Jeff? I want to know. Um, but over, the film just moves from one beat to another very, very quickly in a very nice way. And, and you hit all the marks, you know, uh, it sets up the, the relationship with you and your brother, the relationship with you and your dad, who's an asshole. And I think I could relate to that when I was a kid. It's like, I didn't have a real relationship with my dad at the time. We now do, and it's fantastic. But at the time I was like, I can kind of relate to that, you know, and not having that father figure that I, yeah. that I craved. Um, and then, you know, right. obviously the, right. the, the action scenes set up one thing after another. And I love the fact that your character is, is, uh, doesn't kill anybody with the exception of one, you know, possibly two, because you never see the guy who falls through a, uh, a window at one point uh, or the glass. I'm like, well, you didn't see him die, but maybe he did. Um, he's fine. He's, he's fine. fine. He's fine. Yep. But I love though that, that, that intention of maybe setting that message of like, look, we don't kill anybody. You know, we just, 
beat the shit out of them, mm-hmm. which is fine. Another thing that I think is really important that fits right in with what you were saying, the other thought in our mind, all of us putting together <clears throat> the idea in the film of the perfect weapon was not only that, but let's let it be about martial arts, you know, not much of any kind of gunplay, not a lot of blood and gore and bad language and all that stuff that Steven Seagal built his world on, right? Right. Let it be about talent, not about, like when you watch a Van Damme movie, you watch him do the same kick 16 different ways, right? Because his skill set is limited to that kind of movement. So in a way, you have to apologize for that by over-sensationalizing you know, a jab cross and then a jump spin hook kick. I mean, how many times can you watch yep. it? Well, evidently quite a few because he's a much bigger success than I was. But I'm just sharing with you the thoughts that were with myself and the producers as we figured out how to move forward. Yeah. In fact, I'll share something that I just remembered now. Um, <clears throat> after the movie was done finishing and edited, and they, as you know, they have an expression called lock. When you lock a movie, it's done oh, yeah. for you to unlock it and go in and reshoot and re-edit and do that is very easily can be done if you've got the money. You know, so much of this all comes down to money. So we were done with the movie. And the thing that the, the president of Paramount and the other guys are with them, they loved when they were watching the dailies, you know, because they watched the entire fight scene in one camera shot. Right. As opposed to all the quick edits, which were done by that producer, because he's used to doing that for Van Damme to apologize for his lack of motion. Yep. <clears throat> so we all, they all decided we want to add a fight scene. We want to add a fight scene where we don't do all the edits and it just lets mm-hmm. the talent of Kempo play on its own. Because we think you're the Brishnikov of martial arts. So we should show that instead of hide it. So without the director they opened the film up we went back i created the fight scene we shot it i edited it and gave it to them and they loved it and for martial artists over and over again now for decades i hear that fight scene is their favorite fight scene and it's the fight scene in the alley with the wallet yeah oh wow you know that one you may remember it and you may not because it was quick it was quick because there weren't all the edits to stretch it out over forever. Nobody home, asshole. Except us. Just give me your money, sucker. You heard the man. I'm gonna cut you, motherfucker. Is this what you want? Huh? You want this? You want my money? You want to take it? <laughs> right those four guys come in the back alley and they want my wallet and i take it out and i go is this what you want you want this and then boom it starts and three four seconds later it's over so they love that so much they without me asking they came and asked me we want to open the movie we want to shoot another fight scene we want it to play in as few edits as possible Hmm. So that's where that one came from. I, I forgot about that. I'm well, sure the director was very happy to hear about that after. He wasn't happy with anything. <laughs> no. From the time, the first time he said action. Let, <laughs> let me share something with you that'll, that'll put go. this all in perspective. <laughs> Please. There was such a difficult time between the producer, director, and Paramount. They wanted to fire him desperately, but they couldn't because of the contract. Mm-hmm. He had this ironclad contract that if they were going to fire him, not as producer, but as director, then <clears throat> he could have stopped production. That's how much power that person had. So instead of doing that, they brought on another director who never got credit. He actually directed the entire movie. I worked with him. And the only thing that this other producer did who, who was the director, the one and only thing he did on the movie set was yell action and cut. Oh, my God. And that was it. Oh, my God. So what? he sat there what in his chair joke. 12 hours a day, six days a week, doing nothing wow. 
but saying action and cut. Lucky bastard. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I wow. and, but, but that's why I never did another movie for Paramount. Yeah. Because I was tied to him. And then by the time I was untied a year later, everybody was fired at Paramount, you know, mm. which is not unusual. You know, yep. one person at the top gets fired and everybody yep. under. So now I'm that other guy from that was hired by that other group. Yep. So yeah. they don't want to uh. give me credit. They don't want to and they don't want to let me out. So that's when I started doing lower budget movies. Well, you know, not that I'm complaining. It was still great. And again, the 10 movies I started in led me to have this amazing life that I have now. So there's nothing but gratitude. But I am assuming you want the truth. Totally. And, <laughs> and I think I think um, for our audience's sake as well, this the, the business, the entertainment business is so complicated. It's so tricky. Uh, and it's so messy. And and I think that sometimes gets lost in the reality, right? We we tend to put a a a yeah, yeah. Uh, Barbara Walters filter on uh, on on the on the lens of of our heyday, right? Because it's it's true, you know. Yeah. Because these are the things that people should know about as well. I love that you are grateful and have gratitude, which we should. We all should have gratitude to get us to where we are now. If we are in a place. Yeah. Of, 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 even if we're not, you know, just appreciating all of those moments because it gets you to where you are now. Right. Um, right. Right. It's so important. And, and, <clears throat> you know, this idea that, you know, why didn't this guy make any more movies after this? Or why did this guy do this genre of film? Or that's it. it all those questions can be answered <laughs> versus a what yes. if, you know, and, and Yep. I mean, I appreciate, I know Dustin does too. We appreciate the fact that the perfect weapon exists, uh, you know, street night. I love street night and it's a Canon film, you know, as we go on and, and, uh, and that has Canon right. has its own history, right, right there. But, uh, right. I, 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 you know, from a personal nostalgic place, I watch perfect weapon without that reality. And I will continue to watch it knowing even it won't taint my vision of that film because you in that movie kick ass. And that's what matters to me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And you're you're surrounded by a tremendous yeah. cast, you know James Hong and yes. Mako and Mar Mariska Hargitay before she became, uh, you know, right. Law and Order. <laughs> right. With no lines, by yeah. the way. No, no lines. lines. No lines have, at all. That's did right. she have any lines originally yeah. in the in the script? She, she she did. She had lines. We filmed them, and um, my my editing stopped at the fight scenes. So yeah, I, they uh, the, the fact that I had that was a one-of-a-kind astonishing no one would ever think totally. that a first time remember i didn't do anything before perfect weapon and for a company as big as that just to put that in perspective in the years that in the next couple of years that followed while i'm still writing the crest of the movie star thing i had a deal with warner brothers they wanted to do a uh, tv series with me so we signed a holding deal with them uh because we started to have conversations with the chuck norris group about having me come in to Walker, Texas Ranger for six or eight episodes, you know, it was in theory, a concept, but we were talking about it and they picked up on that and they didn't want me to do that. They wanted to do a TV series with me. So of course, you know, and I signed the deal for the holding thing and we get on with developing the story. Well, as we're developing everything, uh, there's language missing. This is after a couple of movies. Um, language in there that didn't give me the final edit and the final sound check of the fight scenes and and just for perspective every one of those were tied to the delivery schedule of the film so i couldn't hold up delivery if i was busy or out of the country and i couldn't make it in in the dates you gave me to go to the editing bay to fix it then it's going to come out the way you think it's going to look mm -hmm. and i got to eat it 
you know. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah. and that never happened, thank God. But, um, but the uh, the thing is that they they hired me, and then there's this absence of language giving me the right to choreograph and edit and soundtrack. And so when my lawyers went back in to add that language, they came back and said, well, we don't give actors that right. So that's not going to happen. And I said, okay, I I get that. And maybe you don't want to set that precedent for other actors. I get that. Here's a crazy idea. Give me another title Mm. so that you're not giving that right to quote an actor, giving it to whatever, I don't care. And don't pay me any more money for it because I don't care. I want to control that because that is my life. That is my world. Ed Parker died before Perfect Weapon was even released. Uh, so now I have the weight of maintaining the integrity of our art. And you think I'm going to give it to some guy who doesn't give a shit in the editing right, bay? Right. I'm not going to do right. that. Right. So they said, look, we just don't do that. And we're not going to give you another time. We're just not going to do it. And I said, well, then I'm, you know, continue to pay me. And I'm not signing off. Undoing. And so that series never got done because I wouldn't give up uh, the right yeah. to control, not my image, because that would be throughout the whole movie, yeah. just the image of me doing my martial art, my tempo. I've got to control that, you know, I, because totally. you don't know what you're looking at. I do. So this is what Paramount learned. They had their editor edit the fight scenes. And I looked at them and I went, okay where's this where's that this is missing that should be over here and this right. should be over there and they went okay why don't you show us and and i did and then suddenly the fight scene looks better but it's also longer now it might be yeah. longer by two or three seconds right. but again when you put it in the perspective of how much money you're paying to, right. to get those seconds of a fight scene it's valuable it just makes business yeah. sense let the guy who knows what it's supposed to look like do his job because we we gained from that you know in action movies the the trailer is all the fight scenes right there's a car chase and a couple of gunshots but it's mostly about the martial art so the more you can deliver in that way the more they love it so it was a symbiotic relationship in that way but Warner brothers wouldn't do it so i i just said okay then we're not doing it they couldn't believe that by the way they couldn't believe that i was turning down a TV series with a you major fool. studio. You know what like you're that. turning down. Really? No, yeah, totally. You know what you should have done yeah. in retrospect? You should have been like, pay me to teach the editor how to fight in Kenpo. <laughs> yeah. And then he'll respect right. the art the way he should respect it. And then we, we won't have a problem. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He'll either respect it or I'll kill him. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I love that. I mean, I, I, I love, love that you are the integrity um, I, I talk to my son all the time about integrity and, and that even when everyone else is doing the wrong thing or making the choice that doesn't seem right, doesn't mean you should. And especially with younger kids, I think it's a harder concept to grasp onto. But again, just like practicing anything, whether it's martial arts, mm-hmm. whether it's playing basketball, whatever, the more you practice it, the more you get ingrained in your mind the more it just becomes a reality and part of your daily life. Um, and I love that. I love that, that I love that you stuck to your gun, so to speak, Same. or stuck to your, 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 uh, your sticks. I've... Yeah. Yeah. You have to, I mean, you really have to, right? <laughs> yeah. No, the, the other thing that I think is so important about the point you just made is, and remember we're talking many years ago that I went through this yeah. fast forward to today. And there you are being a good dad, trying to teach your son the right way to do it. And more so today than ever, there are examples of adults who don't do that. They just Mm -hmm. sell out for clicks on the like button. They sell out for uh, for sponsorship money. And the more vitriol their language, the more extreme their positions, the more money that they make. And so they make that connection. They go, here gets me that bang and it comes together and then it spirals out of control now you have not tens of millions you have over a hundred million people watch you you're making tens of millions of dollars donated to your campaign to your position to your group of you know even if it's domestic terrorism you know yeah and it's all out there on social media with no restraint and no hold back and we are we're a house on fire 
right now because of the staggering uh, lack of integrity and dignity and doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Exactly. You know, not because you're going to make money or lose money. Right. You know, you're going to be okay. You're, you're going to live and you're going to die. The question is, what did you do between birth and death? What did you do? Yeah. You know, and, and if the answer is, oh, I made, you know, 20 million or a hundred million dollars and I bought a house and I did a thing and I raised a family. Okay. All those things are tied to a dollar. None of them are tied to the depth of integrity of making sure that, and here's the point, make sure the world is a better place because you were here. Love that. And if you're not doing that, fix it. Yeah. (laughs) Change, you know, change your thinking and change your behavior and change your way of being in the world. Totally. Totally. I love that. So congratulations to you on being a good dad, because that's a wonderful thing for me to hear. I appreciate that. I, I, I try, (laughs) uh, you know, we can only do the best. We can only just do our best. That's what I tell my son. I'm like, just do your best. What we didn't tell you, Jeff, is actually that Zach is my dad. So um, it's a little awkward way to reveal it, but I'm doing okay. He's a great dad. Yeah. Oh, I could have made it the rest of the day without hearing that one. <laughs> I want to uh, want to jump forward a little bit, obviously, uh, to talk about courage and talk about your uh, your battle with cancer. Um, yeah, the cancer. Uh, so we're in 2013. The end of January, I was actually diagnosed by City of Hope as stage four. It's, I say throat cancer, but technically it's tongue cancer. But if anybody's been through that, you know, your tongue is this huge muscle that's all in here. And um, so I had a a really bad cold that lasted for weeks and I had a sore throat. Then the cold went away and the sore throat didn't and it got worse. And then I tried this antibiotic and that one, you know, with my doctor, of course. And, um, And it got worse and worse. And then one day my voice started to be affected by my infection. So that's when my doctor said, we got to do an MRI. And that's when the four millimeter uh, cancer tumor showed up. Mm-hmm. And I immediately went to City of Hope uh, in California, just outside of Pasadena, which is next to Los Angeles for everybody watching who doesn't know that. And they are one of the top three cancer um, hospitals and teaching institutions in the world. So I, my first day in when I was diagnosed was through the uh, head of robotic surgery, Dr. Magami, and uh, they do a thing called an endoscope. And if you don't know what that is, I hope you never know what it is because they take a, a tube with a camera on the end, they go through your nose and all the way down your throat. Oh. So that's not exactly the highlight of my day. And um, so you put your head back. So I'm looking down, you know, with my head back at her and she's looking at the monitor right next to me. And she's looking at that and just shaking her head like this. And I'm going, okay, this this is it. That's not the reaction I wanted from her. And uh, she came out and said, um, told me what it was and said, if she were to do surgery on it, I would have to sign an agreement that would allow her to take my voice box if she felt it was necessary. Otherwise they wouldn't do the surgery. And she said, then that means you'll have to speak through a synthesizer and your whole life will change. And I'm just laying that all out for you. So in the same minute and a half, (laughs) you're told you have stage four cancer. Oh, and by the way, and if I fix it, you're not going to talk again. Oh, God. So it was uh, the bucket of cold water that you could imagine. Yeah. And so even sitting in front of her, it was just so clear to me. It just came to me and I said, I'll just take my own life because I know that who I am, you can also tell by now, I don't have a problem speaking. Um, And some people criticize me then for that. And they'd be right, by the way. But, um, but I'm not going to live the rest of my life living in a cage. Uh, That that's what I, that's the only thing I fear. So, uh, so I, in my mind, I went, okay, I'm, you know, I, I see that I'm going to take my own life. I'll figure out how to do it. And three days later, I was meeting with the head of oncology for their take at the same hospital, City of Hope. And so, but, and so I went into him three days later, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, we have the cure for this. And he said, 85% of the people that come to this hospital with what you have, not just survive, they're cured. And I was 55 then. He said, you're in the top 1% of health 
of people in your age group. There's just no way we're going to do this. Wow. And I just. Oh, wow. Wow. <clears throat> Excuse me a second. I just sat there and wept. Yeah. You know, because I went three days thinking and knowing and believing in my heart and my soul and my mind that I was going to die, that I was going to take my own life. And, to, <sighs> and there was the question I referred to earlier. You know, I, I got three days to think about this and I made the decision that I'm going to do that. I'm my thinking has never from the time I was like 12 years old, I've never been encumbered by the, the belief in any religious system. Uh -huh. So I didn't have that monkey on my back, you know. And so uh, I actually started to make a thing they call the list, which this is the list of people you're going to call to say goodbye, to say mm. that thank you and love you and you know all that so there you are making the list of the names of people who are significant to you that you're gonna say goodbye to that's some heavy shit for three days and then imagine being convinced of that now you walk into some other place he goes we got it you're you're gonna be good don't worry about it i mean <laughs> right think of that slingshot you know from one side to the next wow and it was, it, so I did the radiation chemo, did uh, 34 sessions of radiation five days a week with eight simultaneous sessions of chemotherapy. Oh, oh, so wow. that day was in, that was an eight hour day at the hospital because, you know, chemotherapy isn't just a, <clears throat> a shot or a drink, you know, it's a slow drip. Yeah. So they hook you up and it takes two, two plus hours for that stuff to get in your brain, uh, in your veins. And um, I lost 80 pounds in that time, in those eight months, it, really in those three months that you're going through that. And, um, and then there's the recovery time after that, I even had to have a feeding tube put in. So, you know, once you're home, the thing they don't tell you until it's over is that the radiation continues to burn, essentially, yeah. continues to work on your body so, um, but when I started to get my mojo back and started to come back and then finally in months, you know, I was back in the weight room again, I'm back on the dojo. It's the only time I took off of training and Kempo or in karate was the time I suffered with that. And I went back and just started over again. When I went back in the weight room, I had like the strength of a 12 year old, you know, <clears throat> and in the same gym I worked out in every day, I would wear a baseball hat because it was so overwhelming on many occasions i'd like to sit on a weight machine i just have to pull my hat down over my eyes because i would start to weep yeah you know i would start to just become so emotional because here i am back in the same place the same machines 80 pounds lighter fighting for my life um but that's the real story of what it's like and i know many of the people that are watching right now went through what i did many other people knew loved ones who went through i did and they didn't make it you know, it's a best at best. It's a 50, 50 shot. You're going to, you're going to make it. So when you go through that and you make it, when you come out on the other side, you are clearly a changed person. And the void, the inner voice that was very, very loud to me from the time I began my treatment was just two words, not yet. Mm. That's all I kept saying to myself. All I kept hearing you can assign whatever thing you want to the origin of those words, yeah. but, but they were very real and very strong. And all I thought was, we're all going to die. And we know that and I'm 55 and, but I know I've got a lot more value to add to the experience of being alive and other people on planet earth. Yep. I have that connection and, <clears throat> and not yet. I don't want to die yet because I know what I'm doing and I feel the power and the importance of that. And, um, and that was the big drive. So now you take that feeling, fast forward to today, and that's why I don't get the anti-vax. Because if I could get a vaccine and help, even, you know, just help, help the, the medical community. So they're gonna help other people, set an example for, I'm there just like that. Yeah. And I'm not encumbered by the paranoia of, you know, whatever chips that they put in so they can read when you take a dump i mean i don't get it. <laughs> you know i just don't get it. the so, cell phone does that anyway yeah uh, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> right, right, right. With a little yeah. more visual part to it. Yeah, really. So, um, <laughs> but no, I'm not going to go do that now. So, oh, okay. That was oh, that man, was that was the next up. segment on okay. our show. Yeah, no, really, I've had enough of this. Jeff Thank Speakman you. takes a dump uh, exclusive. Yeah, that's right. The perfect weapon has new meaning. Then, doesn't it? <laughs> a perfect <So>. movement. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. The perfect weapon. Uh, Oh my God. You, but look, I mean, you, that's all you can do. At the end of the day, you got to laugh. You know, you, gotta, you, gotta, you, you have to, you have to, you have to have some light really? moments in the dark. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. Oh my God, well, first of all, <clears throat> thank you for sharing that story with us. Um, as, as hard as it may have been to retell it. And, and I think for everyone listening and watching, it's important to recognize that reality is even in your darkest moments, there are those glimmers of hope that can pull you out. And uh, you're here with us today. And that's beautiful. Sincerely, I mean that. I mean, for you to come on our show and, 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 and be a part of this nostalgic discussion and also a real discussion uh, right. is, is truly yeah. meaningful. And um, thank you for that. Just thank you. Yeah. And thank you for the invitation. I mean, I <clears throat> yes, it's difficult, but I enjoy talking about it because I know somewhere, somehow out there, it's helping somebody. And it's a very important message. It's a vitally important yeah. message to understand that the value of your life is tied to the positive things that you do for the common good. Love that. Love and that. so focus on how can I be a help to the greater good, yep. to the common good, as opposed to just my good. <clears throat> I don't want to do movies just to buy another house and a bigger car and a cooler. Brother. Right. I put my yeah. money right back into developing my system. I put it into traveling around the world and opening schools. And now look at where we are. We have, we're franchise schools in 20 countries. We're the largest Kempo organization in history. And every single person that's with me is a truly fine person. Because what you just saw that came from my heart, my spirit, they saw that. And they went, that's it. And then they went, how can I help? How can I be a part of that energy? Because that's really what the Kempo 50 family is all about. It's the energetic value that you bring to the table to help raise the consciousness. This is why I think MMA should be called MMF, mixed martial fighting. Yeah. Because there's nothing artistic in what they do. Right. <clears throat> so what do, what do, because you beat the crap out of somebody, they fail, so you advance. Okay, that, that's competition. I get, um, of course, behind that 200%. But don't tell me that that's art. No. Because art is where one person would sacrifice something of themselves to help another person advance. Mm -hmm. That's the art of being human. That's just the fight. The lowest common denominator, common denominator that brings us together as martial artists is that you can beat somebody up. Yeah. <clears throat> Big deal. You know, you, you can beat, beat me. I've been beat up before. I'm not afraid. And that's not going to change me. And it doesn't make you right and me wrong or the reverse. It just is the lowest common denominator. We should be working on raising our consciousness. We just sent a telescope into space, the James Webb telescope. That's going to maybe tell us the origins of our universe. And you watch Carl Sagan's uh, uh, presentation on pale blue dot. If you haven't seen that, look it up and watch it the perspective here's this little pale blue down on the edge of one circle of one galaxy in the middle of <clears throat> an unthinkably huge and yet here we are and you think you're so important that you're going to go kill the person next to you you're going to take his whatever it it's an absolute insanity if we could change how we think and start with all life is one if we can have that as our jumping off point for building our governments and our immigration standards and our economies of scale around the world, where yes, I wanna do good, but I also want you to do good. Yeah. Right now, capitalism has digressed to the point where I wanna do good at your expense. I'm gonna crush you, I'm gonna bring you down, I'm yeah. gonna take away your credibility, yeah. I'm gonna do this to you, I'm gonna steal the election back, I'm going to, whatever it is in your mind that you think that shit's so important, when you go through what I did, you find out it is not. Yep. And it's the love and friendship that we can have for each other. And that's what's built into the Kempo 5 family. I love that. Very well said. 
love that. Thank you. And uh, we'll be signing up for classes uh, after this interview. <laughs> in fact, no, no, no. I was going to say, if I smoked, I'd have a cigarette right now. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, if you if we were sitting in studio together, we'd, uh, well, you know, beverage of your choice, I suppose, we'd be cheersing each other, you know? So, yeah. uh, Jeff, I, I got to tell you, Jeff, um, I mean, I knew we were going to have a great conversation with you, but uh, I feel like we may be in different parts of the country, but I uh, really feel like you're, we're having a face-to-face and this has been yeah, right. really wonderful to have you on the show and, and share obviously nostalgic times, which is great, but so many life lessons. Um, I, I don't know, you, you made my day a better, a better day just being on our show. So thank you. You're, you're, you're very welcome. And again, my eternal gratitude because um, it's because of guys, you specifically and guys like you that, you continue to give me a voice out there. And I, I feel like I have something to say. Uh, that's part of this. That's a solution base, you know, and I, I really enjoy it. And I appreciate so much the opportunity. And, and Jeff, if people want to study with you and with your school, how can they do that? Um, we actually just opened our first online only academy. So, and all of the information, which there's a lot of it in Kempo 50 is also on our 50 online university. So all of my students around the world, once you join with us, you get an access code. You go to jeffspeakman.com, click on the 50 university, and on any device anywhere in the world 24-7, you can access all of the information that you have studied and what you're studying now for your next belt. If you want to find a school near you in any country in the world, just go to jeffspeakman.com. You can re- you can connect directly there. Or if there are no schools, you can connect now with our online university. Amazing. So the only contact point is really just jeffspeakman.com and all the information is there. Great. Yeah, go, go yeah. to it, guys. Check it out. I, I want to sign up now. <laughs> Same. But we'll be in yeah. touch. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much, Jeff. Just have a wonderful day. I hope this started you off on the right foot. It's just so great. And I really sincerely, uh, my gratitude, my, I appreciate so much that you guys would care enough to reach out to me. It, it really is wonderful. So thank you. Man, dude, what a beautiful man. Oh, my God. My God. I, I, you know, I don't say, and I, and I mean that uh, inside and out, because that was so much more than I would have thought uh, it, I, I don't even have words because I was like really, really taken by both his vulnerability and his honesty and just like whittling things down to like, you know what, this is all that matters in life, guys. Like all this, all the rest is bullshit. Like, yep. This, I mean, this, yeah. this, this is, this interview is pretty much uh, uh, a capsule of what we're all about too. So uh, do yeah. good, do good to, to get good, you know? Do good. I, my, my God. He actually said, I think he said, make sure the world is a better place because you're in it. Wow. That's that was the line. I love it. Um, so Zach, well, the world's a better place because you're in it. Likewise. And <laughs> want you to know as you go about your, your Thursday. Yeah. Right. I'm going to go to a lake. I'm going to find a lake and I'm going to go cry. Bye. My God. Hi, Duke. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. Who the fuck took my Cokes? What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. 
Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.